the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Take a nice, big, deep breath. Take it all in and all back out. Yeah, we need more. do more and more of that these days, don't we? Well, it's good to have you with us on... This Wednesday edition, the 29th of April. And uh, we're going to talk about changing world in which we live and most importantly, how to negotiate our way through all of that. Some advice and tips for you, for your family. And um, hopefully through all this process, we keep saying and hearing the slogan, uh, we're in this together and we are and we need to be out of necessity for the good of ourselves and our community at large. But learning how to manage this and helping others that are less equipped, perhaps, to really understand how to properly manage these challenging times in which we find ourselves. Well, that's the topic of today's program. And as we lead off, we're pleased to have with us from Focus on the Family, the Vice President of Parenting and Youth for Focus on the Family, Danny Huerta. And Danny, good to have you with us. Craig, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's a privilege. Boy, it's it's a challenge. We're all, as I indicate, kind of learning how to negotiate our way through all of the implications of what the lockdown has meant, the tragic loss of life. I read today that we've now exceeded the number of lives lost during the Vietnam War in a scant two months compared to 14, 15 years that we were engaged in that bloody war in Southeast Asia. And so there's there's a lot of tragedy behind all of this. And, of course, perhaps as parents... One of our biggest challenges is to help our children deal with not just the current crisis, but the aftermath and what the slow buildup towards recovery is going to look like. And as we see varying states across the U.S. begin to open back up again, um, certainly California, not one of those quite yet, though we're seeing relaxation of some of the stay-at-home regulations and uh, um, controls on exposure to others and so forth, helping the kids kind of go from uh, from occupancy <laughs> and lockdown into moving back out into the world slowly, reintegrating with friends. There's talk about possibly, not guaranteed yet, but possibly California could restart our public schools come June or July, and helping children deal with all of this from an emotional standpoint and a re-engagement standpoint is probably, in my guesstimate, going to be more challenging for some parents than even it was dealing with the kids just in lockdown, wouldn't you think? I would, I would think so. And I, I ran across uh, a quote. My, my daughter writes a little journal. We write some journals to each other in our home. And it says, faith doesn't always mean he changes your situation. Sometimes it means he changes you. And in this case, uh, it's happening, right? We're being changed by this, uh, whether we like it or not. And uh, there are uh, some families that actually have said they've, they've had a really good time, a very rich time together as a family, and they've made it work well. And some families have not. We've heard of increases in domestic violence and other things that have happened as well. And so stress has increased, and some families had a pretty good home, and it strengthened their home, and some families had some issues, and it magnified those issues for them. And so each each family is going to be handling uh, the culture of their home transitioning in very specific ways. And uh, there are different personalities, different ages in homes, and those complexities are, are big. But as, as parents, the important part is to enter the places of interpretation our kids are in. They're having to interpret uh, things their friends are saying, and some friends may be minimizing things, and 
saying everything's fine. And for a younger population, part of that's true, uh, yet there, there, there's a huge responsibility for the, for the youth in there. And then there are interpretations within, um, within the news of what they're getting and then within their family. So what I want to challenge families to begin to do is to look at the invitations now. What are we invited into and how do we determine which ones make sense? And what is God inviting us as a family into? What has he invited us into? And have we, have we taken an invitation of prayer during this time? Because it's a huge invitation that we have. So now we're bombarded with these, uh, a number of invitations from kids wanting to get together. And there are things we're needing to interpret as far as rules. But then what are those invitations from a kingdom perspective that we need to pay attention to and as a family prioritize? And, you know, there's there's sort of a, a dual-edged sword here as well as we're trying to help children understand the the grave side of this, the gravity of it all, the loss of life, as I indicated in my opening remarks, mm-hmm. along with a spiritual takeaway, because this has afforded, and I hope families have not spurned the time, but have really taken advantage of the opportunity to, to draw closer together, and suddenly the, the day-to-day working world gets shifted into not just neutral, but put on stop. And so hopefully there's been an opportunity to really capture a lot of that time. But I'm wondering, too, is as kids begin to re-engage, they're going to hear stories, they're going to hear um, tales about how a, a friend at school maybe lost a grandparent to COVID-19. Um, and I wonder about the ministry opportunities there in terms mm-hmm. of the responsibility that we have as believers to be a light. And that's not just the adults in the family, that's the kids too. Absolutely. And that's where we get an opportunity to learn to listen, listen through the lens of Christ. And, you know, is it safe to be open emotionally with you? That's a great question to ask. You know, is our home safe emotionally and spiritually besides physically? And then am I a safe person emotionally to a person around me? How do I come in and show um, hope that, that there is something beyond having physical safety? And as hard as that is to say, that's true. As believers, we have a hope that goes beyond this lifetime, and it goes into the depths of our soul, and our soul knows it well. That's what David talks about in Scripture as he's talking to his soul and having that conversation to create that peacefulness, that conversation with God. So looking for those opportunities for conversation with kids that have lost someone, don't just rush through that. Uh, help your kids learn to just spend the time there. It's, it's time well spent to listen and to, uh, to offer the opportunity to talk again or to say, hey, what, you know, what do you need from me during this time? That's got to be hard for you. And showing with true, genuine empathy that you're entering that place with them. You can't fix it, but you can certainly walk that path with them as, as a friend and as a listener to them. Is this going to be an important time to, to not just acknowledge what you're, what you're saying, but also to help children sort of neg- negotiate or navigate, rather, their way through a sense of loss here? There's, there's loss at so many layers. I mean, there's been the loss oh, of freedom, yeah. certainly. And, you know, to explain to your son, who's a big baseball fan, why it is that there may not be baseball for the entire season. Uh, and that might seem trivial, but to a young mind, and when you stack a lot of these things one on top of another, well, we're going to lose the opportunity to go on vacation because Dad lost his job, and we're having to work our way through the financial turmoil. Uh, there, there's, you know, typically when there's loss, there's a grieving process, and and the multiple stages that go through uh, emotionally on the road to recovery. Is it important, in your opinion, Danny, to help acknowledge for our children that they will be feeling some loss? There may be some anger associated with that and and a sense of of, um, uh, sadness about it? Yes. If they're human beings, of course, right? I mean, those are, it makes sense with that that emotion of sadness, of disappointment, of anger, makes absolute sense in response to the, like you said, multiple layers of loss. And my son, he's 16, he went, uh, he was on a basketball team that made it all the way to the final four of the state basketball championships for the first time in school history. And uh, the day that they were supposed to step on that Coliseum court, they said, hey, it's canceled. We're not going to 
we're not going to do it, and I'll four win. And so they were just excited to go compete at this Coliseum. Kids had been dreaming about doing this, and they had worked so hard to get there. And that was a loss to talk through through with him. And then, yeah, the loss of friendships, of being able to have that face-to-face contact, even the loss of being able to hug grandparents, uh, that touch that is so important. And uh, the my, I remember both my son and my daughter, they said, man, I just – I just been seeing my friends in the hallway and just saying hello and, uh, hey, can, can we go to the grocery store with you guys? I miss doing that even. And so there, there are a lot of different layers of loss. And, and in the counseling, from a counseling perspective, counseling practice, I've heard of kids losing friends all the way to, to suicide and to, um, uh, to a loss of jobs uh, with both parents losing jobs. And so it's a huge loss of income. And so the, the, the emotions to that make sense. Now the, the part of resiliency is to begin to shift the mindset to ask the question, so now what? what, what, what how, do I, how, do, how can I respond rather than focusing and remaining stuck on what was lost? You grieve that, but then you shift to, okay, creatively, what is it that we still have and what do we do with that? So you're shifting the brain to gratitude of what you've got so that it can handle what is remaining and what's there. And that, that discipline of gratitude can lead to other forms in our kids, like humility, other character traits, like humility and, and a strengthening in, in their ability to, to find courage in the midst of anxiety. And so, man, what, we have great lessons to step into with our kids. And what I encourage parents to do is do check-ins each week with your own family. What's going well for us? what's not going well for us, uh, what's been going well for you specifically, each of the kids, what has not been going well for you specifically, and writing those down in a notebook so you show the importance of what they're sharing and the fact that you're going to need to problem solve as a family, everybody participating in that, and then asking the question as parents, what do you need from us to make things work better here in the home? We, we, we are willing and we want to step in there with you guys and and lead well. And sometimes as parents, we need to get a little bit of feedback and be open to that and not be threatened by the fact that sometimes we need to shift and look at our own emotions because stress does create poor parenting. And sometimes we have to find our own timeouts. And in this time, I've actually told parents uh, in here in our own home, having five check marks for the five timeouts that you need to take throughout the day to, to regroup maybe touch base with God for a little bit, maybe go to the bathroom, close the door, even if you don't have to go to the bathroom, just take some deep breaths and re-engage. So those five timeouts could really help you successfully parent and guide your kids and control your own emotions so you can be present with them. I guess the other thing to keep mindful here is that there may be opportunities for parents to kind of help compensate for some of the losses. And by that, I mean, Danny, I think of the poor kids of the class of 2020 that were deprived of things like the senior prom or graduation ceremonies and, 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 and so much of the milestones that we typically in our culture um, have for children to mark as they progress their way through life. And here you've gone your entire school lasted career, worked hard. Maybe it's really important to you to be able to um, kind of um, celebrate your, your hard work, and you were looking forward to crossing the stage and receiving your diploma now that the diploma is going to be sent by mail. Are there things that parents need to be sensitive to in that arena? I know you can't, you can't replace it, but are there things that parents should be thinking of to be extra um, encouraging for kids that have really lost some of those important watermarks in life? Something I've learned about parents along the way, and, and right now in my position, they're focused on the family, that parents can be very, very creative when they slow down and figure out, okay, what, what is really the issue and what do we need to do about it? And in this case, parents are becoming pretty creative at creating a ceremonial milestone still for kids that have missed their graduation. And uh, some of these are going to be more intimate if you really think about it, because you can only have a few and you're not rushing from one graduation party to the next. And, uh, and you're able to really talk about that milestone and invite the, the close friends to, to make it a special time together. And there are some places 
at least here locally, uh, including the Air Force Academy, they, they, they did a closed-door type of, of graduation at the Air Force Academy, and then uh, some of the schools are talking about doing a graduation in the fall, some in the summer, and I think some schools are trying to be creative. They're cognizant of that. It is, it is a, it's different. Um, it, you know, some people are talking about the new normal. I don't think we even had normal before, but we're, certainly things have changed, and so we're creating a new experience for sure in our society. And part of that right now from here until January and maybe beyond that are going to be, it's gonna, we're going to have to adapt to a lot of different shifts and, and new, new things, but also loss. And uh, in this case, some kids will be able to handle that loss better than others. Some, some kids will really enter kind of a depressive state. And so as parents, be aware of that and maybe... It's time to, to see a counselor and talk through that. We also we actually have a, a, a consultation line. It's free. You can speak with a, a psychologist or a counselor over the phone. If, if you do have a senior in college or, uh, or high school that is really having a hard time with this, call one of the counselors and talk through what the options are for your family because you need to take that seriously for high schoolers uh that that see in the short term that they can be become impulsive in their response to that and go into kind of a deeper depression so pay attention to that and then the other the other guys uh you know kids that are, are young adults that are doing well fairly well with it come up with creative ways to still do a really uh powerful ceremony of of uh transition to to their new chapter don't ignore that. Just because it was canceled doesn't mean you don't have to do. You you can't do something, as as a family or as a community of friends. Uh, but you're right, Craig. This is we're having to uh, to adapt. The, the key word is flexibility and adaptability at this time. This time, those two words, uh, because there's still several unknowns even for June at this point. Well, that's that's to be sure, and and uh, we certainly know that here in California. Well, we appreciate the time and the advice, Danny. Uh, this is uh, you know new territory for all of us, and I think parents out there, especially, um, can benefit from gaining. You know, the scripture says that you know there's wisdom in many counselors to seek the wise counsel and take advantage of the resources that are available to you um, to get a better handle on how to improve what you're doing as a parent. Be patient in the challenges that you're facing because you will fail and make mistakes and the kids will drive you nuts and, and all of that. And yet we've got to come together and, and pull through all of this. And some of the resources available to you as a parent are easily had online when you go to FocusOnTheFamily.com. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com. And, of course, we invite you to tune in to the daily broadcast of Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, heard each Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. and again at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. Our thanks to Danny Huerta, Vice President of Parenting and Youth for Focus on the Family. 523 going to get you a traffic update right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. And as we uh, continue to... um, Trudge on here in our Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Uh, we're going to turn to a another topic related to sort of the the post-pandemic. Uh, we'll eventually be there at some point. I know that we're not there yet. And yet it, it's, it's interesting the way this has in every aspect impacted our lives, not only from finances to the markets to uh, the way we live and move and, and uh, the, the way we work as well. Also the way we relate to each other. It's interesting to note, you may recall in the environment in the days immediately following 9-11, there was ongoing concern about, was this it? Were there more terrorist attacks planned? And if so, where and when? There was a slogan that was developed by government. We were told simply, if you hear something, say something. Meaning if there's something suspicious going on, like, I don't know, half a dozen guys that want to learn how to fly an airplane, but they have no interest in landing the plane, just flying it, maybe you might want to say something. 
Well, in the spirit of perhaps abundant caution, uh, we've moved to a, a different form of seeing something and saying something, and that is seeing a neighbor that perhaps is not complying with all of the necessary um, recommended health requirements in terms of social distancing, wearing face masks in public, and so forth. And and a lot of that perhaps has created some consternation. Are, are you somebody, raise your hand if you want to admit that you've seen a neighbor or a co-worker or a family member not behave in what you thought was the exact fashion and were very tempted to say something, or maybe you did. Maybe, maybe you're even one of those people that called the local police. Let's talk about um, how that may help or hurt. Joining me now is Kelly Sloan. She is a Denver-based public affairs consultant, columnist, and is a environmental policy fellow at the Centennial Institute. And Kelly, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. This is an interesting topic because it really gets down to the, the bare bones of human behavior, both in terms of what we're seeing with a lot of the protests going on and people that uh, really feel put upon by being required to shelter in place and businesses closed and a great deal of it, no doubt, uh, responding to the pressure that they're feeling economically. But along with that, we've seen some amazing behavior in uh, in America, some of it, most of it, I'd like to think, very encouraging, neighbor helping neighbors. And, of course, we have to uh, salute all of the health care workers that are literally on the front line um, caring for the sick and dying. And yet along with that, there have been some, um, some bad actors as well. And I guess lying in between is the question of, are we headed toward, do we run the risk of becoming the kind of society that, like in places like uh, communist China and Vietnam and North Korea, where reporting on the behavior of your neighbors is sort of commonplace? Is there a risk in that? Well, I think there is. You know, as I pointed out in the column I wrote uh, about this in the Washington Examiner, you know, that we've always had that that impulse to self-police a little bit. There's always been the the impulse to uh, uh, for you know community pressure, uh, and quite frankly, uh, in a lot of instances, I think that's preferable to uh, go- government enforcement. In the early days of this crisis, I think we saw a lot more uh, self-policing or community policing, uh, enforcing some of the social distancing as opposed to strict government measures. Uh, We've always had a certain number of people in any society or any group of people that are, you know, what you would consider the busy bodies, the ones that kind of take it upon themselves to, uh, you know, go maybe a step farther and, uh, you know, maybe report on things. People that you tend to look at uh, either verbally or to yourself say, mind your own business. Where it becomes, I think... Uh, a little more insidious, perhaps a lot more insidious and a lot more dangerous, is when that activity starts receiving government sanction, starts being encouraged by government. We've seen that in places like uh, New York, where they've uh, set up, uh, at least for a while, they've set up that hotline, that tip line. I mean, if, you, if you see somebody not social distancing or you know, a, a business open that shouldn't be, you know, uh, call them and report them. Um, I, I, you know, I believe the same thing happened in, uh, in, in your state as well. Uh, in Colorado, we had uh, a local county health department for a brief period of time had uh, what people were derisively calling a snitch line set up. It got a lot of pushback, both from uh, county leadership and from the public, and that got uh, taken down. Uh, but that's where I see the danger in this, is where you know the government starts encouraging behavior beyond what would be considered just kind of normal self-policing or, or, or community uh, community self-pressure, I guess you put it. Yeah, I think encouraging neighbors to do the right thing. You know, if you see somebody uh, throwing litter out the side of the car, you know, right. it's not a good thing. And, you know, if you're happen- doing it on the freeway, it's probably difficult to say anything. But but otherwise, I think that sometimes that, that sense of wanting to kind of keep each other on our toes... Um, in, in, in polite society is not necessarily a bad thing. As you say, where it really becomes potentially dangerous is when it's endorsed by the government because, and, and you know, Kelly, it's the old adage, uh, give an inch, they'll take a mile. The danger here that it moves from 
maybe somebody who makes a mistake absentmindedly. I've done it myself, walked out of the house, got into the car to go run an errand, got to the grocery store and realized ah, I didn't take my face mask with me and had to go driving back to the house to go get it. So there are aspects of this that is a new habit for us. There are other aspects where it maybe sort of um, irritates our, um, what should we call it, our, our, our independence nerve. As Americans, we'd like to be free and we like to let people know how much we value our freedom. And being told no is not something that kind of inherent to our culture um, is, is very readily embraced. But I have to wonder if in the spirit of trying to protect America's health, we, we see sort of the codification of this behavior. Does it potentially become far more insidious, far more dangerous if it begins to shift into other areas where it's not just reporting on a neighbor who maybe had a party with 500 people in the house and none of them were wearing face masks to right. maybe um, other types of behavior that suddenly we have deemed are not somehow appropriate and now we're going to turn into miniature uh, uh, reporters for the, like this, like we're working for the Stasi. Right. Well, it, it requires a bit of employment of the ability to distinguish, which I think at least in certain sectors of society we, we've lost that. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, after nine eleven that we had the you know, the government put out some uh, directives that you know if you, if you see something say something, and that kind of made sense. You know, at that time we were worried about further attacks and. You, know, you gave some pretty good examples of the type of thing that, you know, if you do see it, that that makes sense to report. That's just being a good citizen and, and a good neighbor. Um, you know, likewise, if you, for instance, saw somebody purposely coughing on vegetables in the uh, in, in the supermarket or something like that, that obviously crossed the bounds of acceptable behavior, uh, that you know, that makes sense, and that's that's just just being a good citizen, and a good neighbor. But you know, when it it does require a little bit of the uh, the ability to distinguish between that and what may or may not really be your business. An example I used in the column, you may, you may have heard this, it did make uh, some national news. Here in Colorado, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, a young lady came out to her car one evening to find a note in her windshield. It was written by a neighbor. It said, all your neighbors, and presumably one neighbor, uh, saying, I've noticed you've been leaving your house every night without a mask, uh, and goes on and on, leveling ahead and diversions at this, uh, at this young lady for leaving her house, uh, obviously, or apparently leaving her child at daycare uh, while she's at home during the day, and how dare you, this is wrong, stay at home, double underlined, all this kind of stuff. But it, you know, obviously, this person was you know, sitting about making uh, detailed observations of uh, this lady's comings and goings. Well, it turns out that the young lady that... Uh, uh, Received a note was a 911 dispatcher, uh, <laughs> the very, you know, the very definition of an essential worker that was working the night shift. Uh, and she, you know, she was she was married. Her husband uh, worked during the day at a, another essential job. I'm not sure what, but they left the child at daycare so that this young lady could get, you know, six or seven hours of sleep before she went back to deal with, uh, you know, COVID-19 calls or domestic violence calls or you know whatever else she uh, she deals with. So. You know, and that's the kind of thing. Now, if that gets, if, if you have the government saying to some, to, you know, this neighbor, hey, report this, well, now you've taken it out of the realm of just, you know, the, the nosy, annoying neighbor that, uh, you know, that, that most of us kind of cock an eyebrow at, to something that's kind of uh, sanctioned by, by government. Now you're putting the force of government behind it. And, you know, I think that's, uh, that's making uh, a very dangerous turn. And you also mentioned, you know, what if it ends up being uh, that same kind of activity sanctioned for other areas of areas of life? Well, let's just look at uh, you know, some of the climate climate related stuff. Uh, at what point is there going to be a snitch line set up? Once we get used to a snitch line for COVID quote unquote violations, for perhaps recycling violations, are you going to are they going to ask you to turn your neighbor if you notice that they have? Uh, you know, recyclables in their garbage or, you know, that they've uh, perhaps are making too many vehicle trips uh, or, or that kind of thing. Uh, it sounds inconceivable at this point, but, and again, a lot of things we're dealing with right now seem pretty inconceivable a month and a half ago. 
Yeah, that's very true. And I think the other notion to underscore here is beyond the fact that this could be taken to the nth degree and in the hands of a um, uh, less than constitution honoring government uh, could be very dangerous uh, to not only uh, our constitutional well-being, but also it just creates nastiness amongst ourselves. And that could potentially backfire. So, you know, the old adage, stay in your own lane, make sure that you're uh, worried about the uh, the log in your own eye before you start concerning yourself about the speck in your brothers is um, not only good scriptural advice, but probably some good advice under these circumstances as well. Kelly Sloan is a Denver-based public affairs consultant, columnist, and energy and environmental policy fellow at the Centennial Institute. And Kelly, we appreciate so much the time and the important warning as well. 5.38 on the clock. Let's get you updated on some traffic right now. From the KFAX Traffic Center, here's the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. And our theme today has kind of been the the recovery phase of the COVID-19 virus, although as we've seen, likely we've not hit the uh, the peak of deaths yet. It's really too soon to tell, as many health experts are telling us. The important thing is that we understand how we need to move forward from here. And as communities begin to open up and we can begin to see some light at the end of the tunnel, um, how do we bounce back from something like this? We've delineated over and over and over again that so much of life will have changed. It will have changed for people that have lost friends and family to COVID-19. It will have changed for people that have lost jobs, um, who've been impacted in so many ways by the shelter in place. So if we talk about the notion of how it is to be resilient, what does that look like? And how do we sort of um, garner up our, 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 our uh, bootstraps and begin to move forward and experience and engage in resiliency as we build our way or climb our way, or some might even argue crawl our way out of the impact of COVID-19? Joining me now is a um, wonderful author, She's got a new book out called Your Journey to Greatness Through Routine. She is the founder and CEO of IPV Consulting and joins us now to talk about this notion of what it's like to garner up our resilience to bounce back from the impact of COVID-19. And Michelle Steffes, great to have you back on the program. It's a pleasure to be here, Craig. Thanks for having me back. Well, this is a timely topic and, and the one that perhaps we haven't thought about too much. We've been so focused on how do we manage the stay at home. And then I think like a lot of um, maybe um, individuals that have been in prison for any length of time, they just want to get out. They're not really thinking about what they're going to do once they get, get, get out or what that process is going to look like. They're just waiting for the warden to call them and say, here's the date and time, put on a fresh suit of clothes. So how do we go about understanding what this process back into the new normalcy is going to look like in the wake of what has been so much loss, economic loss, personal loss, um, loss of things? I was talking with a guest earlier from Focus on the Family, loss of things like some of the, the social rights or the cultural rights of passage, the class of 2020. They didn't get that chance to have their senior ball or their senior prime. They didn't get to have a chance to walk across the stage and receive their graduation diploma or sit there in in the audience and throw their mortar boards up in the air at the end when they announced, ladies and gentlemen, the class of 2020. There's a lot that this this generation is going to have to overcome building up out of the impact of COVID-19. Yes, it is quite the perplexing time and place for all of us in this world. And my heart goes out, especially to the seniors, but like you say, the prisoners, the people that have lost so much. And, you know, depending on your stance in life, um, everybody's got a a level of stress that they're dealing with right now. And fear and anxiety is running rampant. So um, my answer to that is really it begins with taking an inventory of the things that you can control versus the things that you can't control. And, you know, we all have a level of things that we can't control, such as the choices of a- or actions of other people, the feelings or opinions of others. Goodness gracious, so many people getting wrapped up in those conversations that it's just 
driving them further down the hole and adversity and, and societal chaos and, and politics and you know all these things we really can't control, at least not to a greater degree. Um, but the things we can control are our choices, our actions, our attitude or behavior or our perspective about you know what what we can influence in our lives right now, which is ourselves, our family, our own state of mind. And I want to get into that a little bit in terms of how our thoughts affect our our whole body chemistry and physiology and how it can literally paralyze us from being able. Well, let's to dive into that, Michelle. Let, let, let's yeah, dive absolutely. into that, Michelle, because this is this is an interesting topic you bring up. We've we've all been, and I, I'm I'm you know guilty as charged as all the rest. In almost every time that I have a chance to stop what I'm doing from work and and quickly yeah. jog uh, log in to to get some news, it's like okay, how many more losses? What's happened here? And yeah. we have been so inundated with the negativity of this and stories of friends and coworkers who've lost jobs, yeah. things of this sort. Uh, how do we go about dealing with some of the psychological aftermath of this? Well, we really have to get serious first, like I say, about getting an inventory, but then deciding how we're going to move forward with a structure in place that's going to help us do the Philippians 4.8, which is to think on things that are noble and lovely and pure and of good report and praiseworthy to think on these things. And so the, where people fall down is they don't have a, and I want to call it a routine, okay, which that's not a dirty word, <laughs> um, but a routine in place that perpetuates them into thinking better thoughts. So just for example, when they get up in the morning, are they getting up and, and immediately turning on the news or thinking about what happened that was bad the day before? You know, just getting up in the morning and putting your feet on the floor and thinking about what you do have and being grateful and then maybe turning on something that's going to inspire you or motivate you or going into some prayer, you know, or thoughts about the people that in your life that you truly love and you appreciate. Uh, maybe reaching out and encouraging someone. You know, this is just the starting point of what, how you can begin to change the game and those thoughts. So what I really want to make clear is that when you don't choose to do that, you release cortisol and adrenaline, which paralyze the frontal cortex of the brain. And the symptoms that, that most people will see in this state is uh, emotional distress, sleeplessness, because it suppresses melatonin. And so basically you're in survival mode 24-7, and you start to lose your memory. You start to lose your depth of perception. You can't focus anymore. And then you shrink the hippocampus, which is the memory center. You end up with the amygdala hijacks. Your emotions are on this huge roller coaster. And it seems like the world is spinning out of control for you. And so we've got to understand the science behind this before we can move ahead. You're absolutely right. And I think taking a bit of a breather from all of the focusing that we've done on the negative news and, and trying to instead understand more about our reaction to kind of check in with ourselves, um, there certainly, I think, has been a sense of being overwhelmed by all the news, as we've suggested. Um, if we're in a position of caregiving, maybe for an elderly parent or for children, helping them deal with this crisis and, and, and sort of negotiate for themselves through all of this, we perhaps have not taken the time to engage in what I think you're suggesting, Michelle, and that is a little bit of um, self-introspection or self-inventory. Definitely, definitely. You know, we all need a to have a sense of, of well-being every day, a sense of certainty, a sense of progress. And we can only create that, and I use the word create very emphatically, because we have to create it. It's not going to just happen. You're not going to wake up one, one of these days with this going on and say, gee, I hope tomorrow is going to be better. You can't just hope it. You've got to create it. So to create that progress, you, you have to think about the structure of your day. So how about some exercise, begin to work on your fitness, to begin to work on your diet, begin reading some books, maybe a project or two that you have been putting off, even some spring cleaning, but acts of love, kindness, and encouragement, refusing to be bitter, you know, and setting in motion an entire day filled with activities, mindsets, and attitudes that can reverse all those stress chemicals and begin to release things like serotonin, oxytocin, dopamine, that's what gives you that feeling, that euphoria of well-being, purpose, and it restores your good chemistry so it actually can take you out of depression. And I have many stories I could tell on clients that have experienced that. 
Is this an important time to engage in? And some people are going to they're going to hear me say this and think I'm crazy. But is this a good time, Michelle, to engage in some goal setting? And I say that because, you know, we've been kind of here on almost a, a quasi little bit of vacation. And, and I know some of us, uh, you know, the routine and the hours we put in working from home don't differ much from what we do when we're going to the office and yet we've had the relief of not having the day-to-day commute and, and things of that sort. But there are a lot for whom, because they've not been able to work at home at all, uh, maybe have just kind of spent a lot of time as a couch potato and been watched, uh, you know, everything available on Netflix that they had to go out and <laughs> go order a second service <laughs> to consume more. Yeah. And and so I think that lack of, of purpose and being able to mark accomplishments you know, at the end of the week, you know, yeah. if you work in a business, you can say, hey, I serve this number of clients. I made this much money. I accomplished this kind of a goal. We, we you know, work together as a team to do this, that, or the other thing. There's things, there's sort of these, these, these milestones that we have, we were talking about earlier, that we have in our day-to-day life that's kind of been absent. So are you suggesting maybe we do a little bit of goal setting here? Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Craig. You are totally on point. And, you know, I, I think what's happened to a lot of people, and, I, and a lot of my clients even, have said, you know, I just feel stuck. I feel like I can't move forward until this is over. But then what happens, they get sucked into this abyss, you know, this hole, feeling this, this lack of purpose and, and you know, and definitive, um, you know, humanness. And they, and they wind up in this downward spiral that just takes them quickly into depression. Being stuck is one of the worst places to be, whether there's a, a pandemic going on or not. We've all been there, and it's and it's it's awful. It's an awful, empty feeling to feel stuck. But we're the only ones that can pull ourselves out by setting goals, by creating routines, by restoring your vision and passion for what you want to accomplish, even if it's changed. Maybe it's different now. You know, maybe all the things that you thought you were going to accomplish, you got to shift them a little bit. I mean, one example is, you know, I'm a speaker. Well, all the speaking events canceled. So now I'm going online and doing it virtually. But I'm not going to stop the motion of moving forward. Yeah, because that that, that lack of momentum, and as we all sort of suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, the, the brakes got thrown on. I, I talked to a pastor yeah. friend of mine the other day. They run a, a fairly large Christian school with multiple campuses. And he said to me, Craig, he said, we got notification from the county that we had 30 minutes, three zero, 30 minutes to shut it mm-hmm. all down. And that was to decide, oh. what do we do with the kids? How do we get all the kids back home? Yeah. What if it's in the middle of the day and the parents are not available to get off of work and come and pick up their, their kids up? And then what, what do we do with all the staff and these people that are reliant upon paychecks? And so, you know, the brakes suddenly being thrown on, as we all know, if we've ever been in a car accident, the whiplash alone can leave pretty significant lasting effects, can't it? It certainly can. In fact, the whole world is grieving right now. And if you know anything about the grieving process, it begins with denial, okay? So whether you're grieving a loss of a loved one, like you mentioned at the beginning of the program, whether you're, you're a loss of a job, a loss of what you just mentioned, the church and the, and the schools, you know, being affected like that, a loss of routine is even grieving, you know, a loss of progress, uh, a loss of hopes and dreams. You know, a loss of a way of life and, you know, gathering with other people. These are all losses. And grieving starts with denial, and then it quickly moves into kind of an anger and wanting to blame somebody else. Now, this is true even, again, without the pandemic. This is the process of grief for anybody, and anyone that's been through grief knows this is the process. So when we recognize and we can identify, hey, this is normal. I'm not a weirdo. You know, I'm not freaking out here. I can do this. I just have to walk myself through the process. So let's get past the anger and the blaming, and let's start working through how we can make progress to get out of this. And is it important to sort of um, establish these goals, as we suggest, maybe in stages? In other words, if you've been sitting on the couch for the last 30 to 45 days, and you know here in California we have at least another month to go in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, and we say set a goal— so somebody's going to decide, tomorrow I'll paint the entire house. Well, you know, maybe that might be biting off a bit more than you can chew. And, and if there's been a sense of, of being depressed ourselves, 
through all that's going on here, trying to kind of restart the engine and, and, and get the momentum going again, does that need to be done in, in sort of small incremental steps in order to allow us to kind of get back up to speed? I think, yes, if somebody has really gotten themselves stuck, I mean really stuck, it may take smaller steps. But I'm telling you something, the smallest changes can make the biggest results. Even just starting with maybe a gratitude journal, you know, just, just, just write down a few things every day that you're grateful for. It can begin to make huge uh, changes and shifts in your body physiology, your chemistry, how you start to feel, and then it starts to change your perception about your future. Because all of us do have things we can be grateful for, you know. So if that's the only place you can start is just writing gratitude down. But then I would encourage you to begin consider reading or studying anything but stuff on this news. And negativity is very addicting, by the way. People can get addicted to the negativity. So, you know, being very aware that, that it is an addiction and maybe you have that addiction, and have someone hold you accountable or start to lock into a project that's going to pull you out of it gradually. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for um, setting boundaries. And we know certainly yes, that's important is. in relationships. I mean, we, we may, under the circumstances, need to set some boundaries for ourselves. That Maybe you think, well, I'm staying on top of the news because I want to be informed and I want to be able to take the proper steps to uh, protect myself, protect my family. So that's going to come from staying on top of the news. And again, I get it. I've been there, too. But I've also had times when I've had to say, that's it. Tonight, I'm going to sit down. It's been a busy work week for me. And um, for the next two hours, I'm going to see what's available on television and I will not allow myself to consume anything that's COVID-19 news related whatsoever. And, you know, it, it's, it's like any bad habit. Sometimes the temptation, you know, uh, to, to sort of backslide and dive back in, it, it, it's right there. It rears its ugly head. But there's real issues at foot here from the standpoint of our emotional well-being and our physical well-being as well, that just this inundation of negativity all the time, coupled with we're not getting as much exercise, we're socially distancing from each other. And, you know, the human race was not designed to be just, you know, doing FaceTime or, or Zoom meetings, you know. The one-on-one -on -one give and take and, you know, the, the human interaction is something that I would suspect also plays, uh, or, or the lack of that human interaction, I suppose, Michelle, plays a negative role in all of this too, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, uh, we were designed to, to be people that would bond with one another, that would spend time with one another, and, and I know that can take a toll, especially on the social butterflies out there, um, and there's a lot of them, you know, if your personality is to be social, this can be very hard on you. Um, for introverts, maybe not so much, although they're definitely going to have their their sense of loss to deal with. But what I like to look at in, in kind of big picture here is I'm not saying you got to put your head in the sand and just pretend like nothing is, is happening and I'm not going to look at it. Maybe just limit it. So, so you have increments, like you mentioned, increments of time. So maybe you decide you're only going to spend 30 minutes a day on, on watching the news or going online and checking out the latest headlines. Set a timer even. Then stop. And then begin to spend your time on things that are going to push you forward. Because, you know what, the truth of the matter is we're all leaving a legacy, okay? When we come out of this, and we will someday, all right, I don't know when, but when we come out of this, what kind of legacy are we going to leave behind us? Are we going to leave a trail of tears and upset and hurt and anguish and loss that our children have to deal with, that our friends have to deal with? Is somebody going to have to scrape us up off the ground when this is over? Or are we going to really take care of ourselves and begin to set limitations and a routine in place that's going to help us leave a strong legacy so that when we get out, people are actually following us? Well, and you raise an important question because we've been so much focused on uh, how do we dig out and get back to work and uh, get the economy moving again, get our own personal economy moving again. And as much as at some point... Uh, we'll be able to sit down and look back at this and we'll count the toll, the toll in human life. We'll talk, count the economic toll. But I think there's also sort of a relational toll here that the stress that this has brought to bear on marriages that maybe we're already at the brink and suddenly you're thrown together 24-7. 
the sort of pressure relief valve of going off to work every day has been removed. And if you were in a bad relationship to begin with, lacking some sort of intervention can can really lead a relationship to complete ruins. And so I, I suspect we really need to be mindful, too, that there are multiple layers here that we want to come out of this victorious. And it's not just saying we survived, we didn't lose our house to bankruptcy, something of that extreme, or we survived, we never uh, contracted COVID-19, and so we've got our health about us, but also realizing that we need to take certain steps to protect every aspect of our lives, including relational. Absolutely. And, you know, children, um, you know, talking of relational here, children are going to be victims of this as well because, you know, they're launched into, a, a, you know, some kind of a strange life of no more routine. And so, you know, parents need to be mindful to get them back into some kind of routine. In fact, I'm going to be doing a webinar on it, and actually tomorrow, to speak to, home, to parents that are having to homeschool their children and getting them back on, get up at the same time, go to bed at the same time, have them read certain hours of the day, you know, have them go in their bedrooms and spend quality time maybe, you know, playing a game or doing a puzzle or something, you know, that is educational or inspirational for them. Have them have a, such a routine that they don't feel like they're lost, because if you don't do that, they're going to go AWOL. I mean, they're going to go ballistic in the house. You're going to see them losing control. You're going to see them angry and upset because they don't know how to cope with it. Same as we don't. But for them, they, you know, they exercise their, their feelings a little bit differently. And, you know, I guess the one concern there is because they exercise their feelings a little bit differently, they're not necessarily mature in understanding how to manage the emotions, although a lot of adults, <laughs> quite frankly, I right. think are going to struggle through this as well. But being yeah, mindful absolutely. to help teach them that. And I would guess, too, the other thing, you know, I mentioned earlier about kind of the the, the, the sudden loss of the pressure relief valve. Uh, there are some people that the pressure relief valve at the end of a busy workday is to run to the gym. And, uh, you know, go go get a good sweat buildup and, and exercise for an hour and uh, how that can help relieve a lot of the physical tension and stress uh, at the end of the day. Well, if suddenly we're told, you know, this um, uh, six feet apart is uh, not going to work in a gym and therefore you can't go to the gym anymore, that's going to be a challenge. And I would imagine, too, for those that are... Um, are really sort of team-oriented, either in what they do for pastime or even the way they, they engage with people at work. You know, we've got some folks that they're happy to be a golfer. They do it on their own. The caddy can be there and recommend clubs, but really at the end of the day, how they're able to move the ball um, across the course is up to them, as opposed to the football player who says, hey, it's me and 10 other guys, and we've all got to work together or we don't win. So the approach to life is very different between those two models. And I would suspect in some cases, people who have been deprived of the, the teamwork effort, if that's what they're used to in their, in their day-to-day life or in their job, have, have probably gone through a real tough time. You're absolutely right. You really touched on three areas that are probably some real hot spots. So we touched on marriages, we touched on children and teamwork. Why not consider looking at your family as a team right now, if that's possible. I mean, I know there are some situations that are just probably quite miserable, but I'm saying just in the, in the general population, take a look at what you can do as a family unit. I know the puzzles, actually, the puzzle industry is just selling out right now. The game board game industry is selling out right now. So why not figure out ways to build a little team at home and discuss how you can maybe walk together for the exercise Maybe do a workout routine together. Maybe, you know, just whether it's just you and your husband or wife or, or, you know, significant other or whether it's, you know, you and your children maybe starting some kind of a fun, you know, exercise program in the living room, pulling out the old Wii games. There's a multitude of ways that we can think creatively to build that back into our lives. And incidentally, uh, endorphins, I'm glad you brought up exercise. Actually, when you flood your body with endorphins from exercise, it, it creates a tremendous amount of clarity, instantly reduces cortisol, which is that stress hormone, and gives you this feeling of energy, well-being, and euphoria. It's well worth the effort. And and I think important advice because, uh, you know, the, the tendency to just be a couch potato 
and uh, you know eat all the junk food and then don't don't get any exercise. Not only are there impacts potentially on our our emotional well-being, our our mental aptitude, but physical well-being as well. And you don't want to take an individual that was already borderline diabetic, for example, and push them over the edge because their eating habits and exercise habits have deteriorated so severely during this period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, those are all really important points that, that only we can control. Again, we can't control what's going on around us, but we can certainly control what's going on inside of us and the schedule and efforts that we decide to have from the moment we open our eyes till we close them at night. And that's really the bottom line here. Michelle, final question for you. We've, we've delineated that a lot of this is a matter of, of attitude, um, and, and that is very sure. And is it important for us to make these, um, set these goals um, and, and, and make a conscious decision in doing so? And I ask that question because there's so much of a tremendous sense of loss of control that all of us are feeling. We want to go out to the movies, but we can't. We'd rather be at work, but we're not able to. We don't like wearing a mask, but we have to. We've seen so much of our personal freedom um, stripped away from us. And at the end of the day, you know, it's for the greater good. And, you know, I'd rather be stuck at home than, you know, uh, somebody visiting me, you know, at a cemetery. But that said, is it important for us to really make conscious decisions um, as we sort of map out whether we're going to begin journaling, as you suggested, uh, the way we're going to start in re-engaging in, in, in life again and, and picking up maybe some, even some new new habits. If baseball season has been taken away from us, and that's really the thing that we enjoy April through October, we're going to now find out something new that can draw our interest and give us some, some um, leisure time pleasure. Uh, but is it important to make a conscious decision at all these levels to at least gain back some of that sense of control that we've lost? It definitely is. And I had the pleasure of sharing in your show some time back uh, about the importance of rewiring your brain. I mean, you, you have neurons and those neurons are constantly growing new neural pathways based on what you decide to think about. Okay. So whether you decide to think about bad things or good things, you're going to grow these neural pathways, and then these pathways are going to continue to fire off and fire off as you think at 400 billion actions per second with a 1,000 trillion synaptic connections just going, okay? And, and if you've built in a lot of negative neural pathways, then you're going to have a tendency to stay negative and to think negative and to move in a negative direction, and you won't feel like getting up off the couch. You just won't. But if you choose to wire in intentionally, Work hard at it. Wire in better thoughts slowly but surely, okay? You'll start to think good thoughts. You'll get your ambition back. You'll feel more zeal and hope for life. And you'll begin to move in a direction that, that is very healthy, both mentally and physically. Michelle, we've covered many aspects of this, both in terms of our physical response, our emotional well-being, our attitude, goal setting, things of that sort. Before we conclude our visit, uh, a word, if you would, about another arena that is, is it critically important as all the others, if perhaps not more important than all the rest? And that is, as we're looking after our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health, our relational health, is it also critically important that we don't neglect our spiritual health? Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, and, you know, I've, I've touched on neuroscience, and really there's a lot of neuroscience in the Bible. And, you know, God tells us, think on things that are good and true and noble. We mentioned Philippians 4 earlier. He also said in Proverbs, as a man thinks, so is he. Okay? He talks in the Bible how important it is that we focus on and meditate on the Word of God day and night when we rise up, when we lie down, when we go in, we come out. There's a reason for that. The promises of God are rich with hope and light and life. And as we fill our hearts and minds with those thoughts and we allow ourselves to meditate on those, we can be transformed, as God said, by the renewing of your mind out of Romans. So important. And I know you as a listener to this radio station have that spiritual dynamic very much top of mind, but I think it always bears underscoring and repeating because at the end of the day, if we're not spiritually healthy, um, we're going to be crippled in every other aspect 
of our life as we try to rebuild, rebounce, um, and, and sort of reinvigorate ourselves to re-enter what will become, no doubt for most of us, um, the new normal. I'd like to thank Michelle Steffes for being with us today, certified professional speaker. And um, again, her new book, Your Journey to Greatness Through Routine. You can get information about that, order it online through the usual suspects, Amazon.com, as well as through Michelle's website, IPV Consulting. That's IPV Consulting.com. Michelle, we appreciate so much the time and the insights. Michelle Steffes with us on this edition of Lifeline. All right, 6.15, and we got a lot of traffic to catch up on, so let's start that process right now.